It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome back to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and I'm here with one of my literal favorite Congress people, people, um, Congresswoman Diana Presley of Massachusetts. How are you? I'm just happy to see you. I can see your face. So I, I'm so, I'm so pleased. It is, yeah, it's always a, a, a treat. Actually, more than that, it's a blessing. It's an education. It's fortifying. Anytime I can sit at a virtual table with you and I can't wait till one day soon we're uh, in studio together in, in one of your many venues. Yes. Um, one of the things that you should know is that I am going to be moving to D.C. Um, that is really going to be happening. So wow. this is going to be, I don't know when. I don't okay. you know. The pandemic is, everything is changing yeah. all the time. But okay, well, I want to be on the, I would, do that. I, I would like to be on the host committee for that welcoming event. Yes. Okay. I'm excited. Okay, so let's let's dig into I think what is on everyone's minds this week, um, which is which has happened in Texas. Um, I was off a couple of days last week, and so literally the night uh, between like my last day of work and my first day off, the decision because it was overnight while we were all sleeping uh, in the middle of the night, um, and I feel like it it threw a lot of people, but. I don't think you are one of those people. I think you've been very outspoken from the moment you were elected about the need to um, be proactive, not just reactive when it comes to issues of reproductive freedom. And I think what happened with Texas um, and the new law um, are a wake up call. So what do we do now? Well, you know, so often, Zerlina, when we come together, I've, I've spoken about how intersectional um, these crises are, how intersectional and intersectional and um, legislated the inequities and disparities are. And so, you know, in in many ways, what happened, uh, what the Supreme Court did is another demonstration of the systematic and intersectional denial to the most vulnerable. So the courts are not on our side. They have proven that when it comes to housing rights, they have proven that when it comes to voting rights, um, and they are doing that uh, now when it comes to reproductive freedom. So uh, this is a dangerous abortion ban. And in that the courts are not on our side, all the more reason why Congress must act. And as I uh, uplifted a couple of times when you and I have been together, this is the first pro-choice majority Congress in the history of Congress. Um, I chair the Abortion Rights and Access Task Force under that pro-choice caucus, uh, a mantle that was, turned over to me uh, by uh, my big sister, uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, uh, for whom we have been allies and partners in the fight to repeal Hyde, uh, which is also 
a part of the, the broader work that we must do when it comes to racial justice and reproductive freedom. So yes, we have to proactively legislate reproductive justice. We have to meaningfully advance these policies that affirm that abortion care is a fundamental human right. Texas may be the first, but if we don't act, it certainly won't be the last. It is a frightening bellwether of what could be on the horizon. And of course, simply because there is an abortion ban does not mean that people will not still seek abortion. It just means that they will not do it in a way that is safe and right. is legal. And so it is quite literally a matter of life and death. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have been readying ourselves for a moment like this. And uh, years ago, uh, there was legislation written, the Women's Health Protection Act, which I should underscore that the legislation uh, affirms bodily autonomy for all, okay? But the Women's Health Protection Act is now a bill that I co-lead with Representative Judy Chu, and this mm -hmm. would codify protections um, in Roe v. Wade, ban harmful state laws like the one in Texas. And I thank Speaker Pelosi for uh, her leadership and her commitment to ensure that there will be a vote uh, on this piece of legislation because Congress has to act because the courts right. are not on our side. And we have to press the Senate to take this bill up immediately as well and get this uh, to the desk of President Biden. So we need to uh, pass the Women's Health Protection Act, codify Roe v. Wade, ensure that there's a ban on future state laws like the draconian dangerous one out of Texas. Uh, we need to repeal Hyde. We need to abolish the filibuster and we need to expand the courts. Right. Uh, we could talk all day about the extremism of this Supreme Court, but none of that is surprising to me, again, because this is just one more demonstration of them turning their back on the most uh, vulnerable in issuing such a denial. And at this point, it's less about the extremism of these courts and more about the poli political will and courage of this party and all of us when we have the House, the Senate, and the White House. So being the first pro-choice majority Congress must be more than a talking point, and being in the Democratic majority uh, must be more than a talking point. It must be a mandate, and we have right. to act accordingly. Right, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, what's happening now with, with reproductive freedom um, is, is one of those issues where it used to be divisive, I think I, I think uh, there was a time when it was more divisive, but that's not the case anymore. A lot of the issues um, that the courts and um, state legislatures are legislating on, they're not issues that the majority of Americans support. They're restricting the right to vote. We don't want them to do that. They are taking away access to abortion. The majority of Americans do not want uh, states to do that. Um, there is a small minority in a lot of ways. And so I want to address um, a couple of things you said. So the first is abolishing the filibuster, because I think in the short term, that's um, the next piece of, of the puzzle in terms of um, making sure that our democracy represents the will of the people. And then the second piece in the more long term 
is the course. So can we start with the short term? Because I keep, you know, every time I got to read an op-ed or some analysis about Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema and why they want to preserve the filibuster, I'm like, why are we preserving that? Why would we want to preserve that? That doesn't seem like a thing that has benefited people who need the government to act on their behalf. I mean, we're voting uh, for for the legislator to the legislatures to do what we need them to. And in, in this moment of the pandemic, it's become clear that restricting our ability to do that is life and death, as you said. No, absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day, although I think given the unprecedented hurt, uh, loss of life due to this global pandemic and uh, unprecedented economic hardship because of this pandemic-induced recession, uh, this national reckoning on, on racial injustice, it has um, prompted people to become more politically knowledgeable. However, at the end of the day, they don't care about these procedural fights. Uh, they don't care about um, an antiquated Senate process. Uh, and these procedures in Washington, you know, the only thing that they understand and that they, they need to is either we're serving them and delivering uh, on the promises we've made, mm -hmm. that we are alleviating their suffering, mitigating hardship, reversing centuries of hurt, uh, when we say that we are committed to, to racial injustice and that we're acting accordingly to advance justice, to advance uh, healing, to advance equity uh, in the same way that our laws have caused undue hurt and harm and been very precise. So we have to end the filibuster Again, the people don't care about antiquated Senate process and Washington procedures. And so it feels awful when people ask me, well, why haven't we simply done this? Or why haven't we done that? I don't understand. Uh, we have the majority. This is why I voted. So a majority is also a mandate. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are some who fear that the more bold we are, be it in our legislating or in a reconciliation or infrastructure package, the more vulnerable that democratic majority is. But I'm of a very different opinion, vigorously so, because I think the ultimate persuasion is impact, mm -hmm. it is delivering. And given how unprecedented the hurt and hardship are and the trauma, there's already an erosion of faith in government. And so this is the opportunity to make good on our promises and to honor our word, to deliver to the broad and deep multi-racial, multi-generational coalition of issues-based activists and voters who made this majority and this mandate possible. I think if we go bold, uh, we are much better positioned than if we play small. Mm 
That is what, in my estimation, will not only fail everyone who calls this country home, who we seek to, to serve, um, but, you know, by playing small, I think it's, it's, a, it's a loss for everyone, humanity and mm. also the Democratic Party. Well, I think I've been thinking a lot about this in, in the past couple of months as well, because it seems to me that, you know, the argument before the 2020 election, you know, for the Democrats not being able to do more is that they weren't in the majority in, in both chambers of Congress. That's not true any longer. They're in the White House. They have a president that will sign legislation. And so what is sort of the, the conversations that happen, if you, even if you can give us a little taste, behind the scenes, because you have moderate members of, your, of the House um, who are pushing back against uh, the size of the infrastructure package in a similar fashion to Senator Joe Manchin. And it seems like, obviously, everybody's going to come to some sort of compromise and they're, you're, you're going to have the conversations and no, not everybody's going to agree with the Democratic Party. Um, but I think that the, the idea to go big versus go safe is something in the pandemic that seems strategically smart, but it's not something I don't, I think that, you know, the, the party writ large has, has realized yet. Well, you know, when I, when I have uh, these conversations uh, where they're, uh, you know, where our opinions differ, um, you know, I believe I'd like to believe there's values alignment, uh, mm -hmm. but as Representative Tlaib so often says, we're just on a different timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're seeking to move with boldness and urgency. But it's important to note that although that is usually the position of progressive members in the caucus, that this is these are not nice to haves or just things that we want. Um, mm -hmm. What we are advocating for is in alignment with and responsive to the needs of the people, but also in alignment with um, what they want and what they need. These policies, uh, things like uh, universal childcare, paid leave, uh, home and community-based services, seeing housing as infrastructure, uh, bold investments in, in climate resiliency, um, these, uh, the bold investments that we are fighting for, we have to go bold because we have to go as far and as deep as the hurt is. Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out with Roe v. Wade, uh, and I'm seeking to, uh, to, to reiterate, uh, although not as succinctly or, or effectively, but that these are popular ideas. Mm -hmm. So um, what I encourage my colleagues to do, who uh, might not immediately see it the way that I see it or the way that the people see it, is to go out and have conversation with them, uh, be in community. Mm -hmm. um, I don't imagine that someone is going to run a negative ad against you because you wanted the families in your district to have access to uh, quality, accessible, affordable childcare, or that you wanted seniors and those with um, living with disabilities to have home and community-based services, mm -hmm. or uh, that you wanted a uh, people in your district, if they're sick, 
that they should be able to stay home and trust that they'll still have a job to return to, or if they have to care for um, an ailing loved one, that they should be able to do that and, and still have a job to return to. Yep. And, and that is why we need uh, paid leave. Um, we have to make these bold investments in more than just uh, physical infrastructure and capital. Uh, our greatest wealth as a nation is the health of our people. And so we have got to make those robust investments in human infrastructure to support the health of our people, the stabilization of families and communities. And so that's why we continue to fight for these things. The other thing you mentioned that I wanna talk about is the courts um, and expanding the court, because that's an idea that we've talked a lot about on the show um, with a variety of, of folks who are, you know, within organizations that are doing that work specifically and trying to mainstream that idea. And now that we've, we've sort of seen what the court is signaling, it's picking up steam. So what does that look like? And, and how do we um, accomplish the goal first of bringing the idea to more voters' attention so that they know that this is an option that has been done in the past and that it's not some crazy outlandish wild idea? Well, I'm going to sequence this a little bit because I think, you know, the challenge right now is that the threats are imminent, the crises mm -hmm. are converged and conflated. And so in this moment, uh, you know, if I were to sequence it, what I want us to be squarely focused on is making sure that we get the Women's Health Protection Act to the floor for a vote, that we uh, push this Senate to take it up quickly and that we codify Roe v. Wade uh, because this is a matter of, uh, of healthcare access and justice, which abortion care is, and because it is a racial justice issue and because it is popular, okay? Yeah. Um, subset of that, of course, you know, we worked very hard for a number of years to get Hyde stripped out of, of, of every uh, budget. We were successful in that. We still need to uh, repeal Hyde. In the process of this reconciliation, the House has begun uh, drafting uh, legislation for the larger reconciliation package. We do expect to see movement on these packages throughout the month, including on the committees that I serve on, uh, financial services, uh, as well as oversight. Um, and so what I remain squarely focused on fighting for are those things that I've enumerated, um, uh, climate uh, resiliency, housing, uh, child care, paid leave, all of these things are infrastructure too. And so we have a September 27th deadline. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we're completing these bills as quickly as, as we possibly can. But that's what remains my top priority right now. And I look forward to our finishing this reconciliation process. But, you know, as we, the, a deal is a deal, you know, move a more narrow bipartisan infrastructure package um, and then in, mm -hmm. in tandem advance a bold reconciliation package that is uh, responsive to the needs of the people, that right. honors the majority and the mandate, and that affords us to act on what is a once in a generation opportunity to move boldly on these things. Zerlina, nobody wants us to recover to mm -hmm. a pre-pandemic, insufficient, unjust normal. We're supposed to be charting a different path. 
And if we don't make these bold investments, um, this too will be a matter uh, of life and death. So uh, those are the things we need to make we're focused on, but I agree with you and it's unfortunate that it takes something unjust to occur and another denial for the most vulnerable for people to realize the importance of the courts mm-hmm. and that this is not, should not be a marginalized fight. This has to be a part of uh, the work of the broader movement because, um, well, it just has to be. Um, and so, you know, I'm supportive of those efforts legislatively. There was a bill introduced by uh, Representative Mondaire Jones, of which I'm a, a co-sponsor. And so I think we just have to continue to um, uh, educate people. But I just hate when that education comes at the expense of the humanity, the dignity, and the rights of other people. And when Zerlina history has shown us that it is the same people over and over again, that when we're talking about compromise, the first place we go for what we will shell or what we are willing to delay or what we are willing to omit or sideline in our advocacy is that which affirms and protects the humanity and the dignity and the rights of people of color and immigrants uh, and our most vulnerable, the disabled women, LGBTQ communities. Um, And so, you know, we have a history in this country of treating trauma with trauma. And so are we really ready to disrupt these systems and these policies this policy violence, which has inflicted great hurt and harm. This is really the moment. And I'm betting on the movement and the vigilance of that movement that we will meet this moment. And we will demand, um, you know, that lawmakers meet it too. It's a smart bet because- Joe Manchin don't run anything. Uh-huh. Well, whenever, whenever you bet on the American people, I think it, I think it always, for me in this moment, it's, you know, you are an elected Democrat. I'm, I'm someone in the media who has worked for Democrats, but this moment for me, this, the political spectrum is kind of blown up. The democracy is at stake. And I feel so um, passionately about protecting that. Because we can get back to, you know, policy nuance debates later. The democracy is at stake and we're in the middle of a crisis. And as you said, they're all intersecting and colliding all at the same time. But we're grateful to you um, for being there and for being our voice um, as voters. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, thank you so much for being thank here you, today. Thank it's you. Always great listen. to chat with you. And listen to all those who don't get it. If you can't be with us, get out the way. So that we can deliver, so that we can deliver to the people who sent us here on their behalf. That, that is a message. I like Joe it. Manchin talking to you. <laughs> Hitting pause on you, Joe Manchin. Okay. Thank you, Zelina. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. It's so great to chat. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.